the story of Joshua is the story of the Israelites, God telling the Israelites to go into the promised land and to occupy it and take it because God has given it into their hands. And so this in Joshua 2 is the story of Joshua sending some spies into the promised land to case the scene before the big invasion occurs. It's kind of long, so I'll read through it a little bit quickly and then we'll get it together. Joshua 2, 1 through 24. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign, then, that you will deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our lives are yours, our lives are yours, even to death. If you do not tell of this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then she led them down by a road through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, where the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, that we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath, and you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. The word of the Lord. What did you guys think of the snow this week? Nice, gay, good, bad, and ugly. Some parents are like, bad, bad, very bad. Some kids are like, yeah, it's pretty good. I liked it. You know, snow's neat because it's so rare in Virginia Beach. And if you come to my house, you'll notice our house is kind of built on a little bit of a ledge. And so two doors down, uh, they, they, have, they, build, they build this, uh, some friends of ours, they build a luge track, which goes down, you know, uh, past the swimming pool, down and into the woods and into the creek. 
So if you go too far, you fall into the creek. Our kids seem to love that. That's why I fear for their lives. <laughs> Nonetheless, they were out there in all crazy temperatures doing this luge track. And then they created this little, like, a slope where they would get on, a, like, a skateboard without any wheels, and they would slide down, and they would try to jump the slope and do a move, and then try not to run smack into the wooden uh, fence that was right there and, and cause a concussion. And for the most part, it worked. I was very happy about that. And I thought to myself, these kids are insane. Where did they even come up with an idea like this? And then we went home, and they said, Dad, let's watch the X Games. And that's when we started watching the X Games, and these guys are doing this crazy stuff, you know? Have you seen where they go off the big one and do like triple aerials or they do the snowmobile where they like flip in the air and land? Like this is, this is insane. You know, but is it Sochi? Is that how you pronounce it in Russia? You know, the Olympics are coming up and they're, you know, back in the day it was like hockey and something else. Now it's like all these crazy sports. And I was, I was watching these people, I thought to myself, you know, there is a fine, fine line between courage and idiocy. <laughs> right? Fine line. Courage, that's the Olympic Games. Idiocy, that's actually something called the Darwin Awards. Anyone familiar with the Darwin Awards? Darwin Awards come out every year. It's for people that do stupid things that usually end up getting them killed, where they move from courage to idiocy. So I wanted to touch on a couple of my favorite Darwin Awards that have been out there. For instance, here was the protester who went out on a motorcycle ride because he was protesting the fact that there was a law in New York that said you had to wear a helmet. And so he wanted to communicate that, no, I don't. Well, he uh, went ahead and uh, slipped on a curb with his uh, motorcycle doing about 50, flipped over the handlebars, and that was the end of our protester. Phil hit the brakes, Fishtail, and went out of control. Flipping him over. Poor, poor Phil. Bad decision. How about Hank here, who was at his buddy's house, when he saw a jar, a salsa jar, containing the mystery fluid? Thinking it was an alcoholic beverage, he helped himself to a sizable swig of gasoline. Naturally enough, he immediately spit out the offending liquid onto his clothes. Then to recover from his shock, Gary lit a cigarette. <laughs> Whoosh! Gas and flame and combustion. Lo and behold, there was no more Gary. How about in Australia, a Kung Fu student who tried to take on a lion at the Melbourne Zoo, a one-on-one -on -one man to cat combat? As it was confirmed, this highly unbelievable story goes that during his martial arts class that day, his instructor commented on how well the class was doing and how ready they were to take on the wild animals. This is very interesting because the only thing that was left of this man were his hands when all was said and done from him taming the wild beast. This one's my favorite. In Belize, 26-year-old Kenan was attempting to replicate Ben Franklin's famous kite flying experiment. Presumably, this was an attempt to prove or disprove Franklin's findings. What he should not have done was use copper wire as a kite string. The kite sailed high, and the string just barely touched a high-voltage power line that sent a, a whatever jillion megawatts into the young man, killing him instantly. The irony was he was unable to go to his electrician's job the next day on account of being dead. Finally, let me just 
picked up my own Darwin Award when I decided to learn the fine sport of rollerblading in a mountainous Stanton, Virginia, on a hill. You know, it's wheels. I've ridden roller skates before. The brake's in the back. It's not in the front. How hard can it be? Well, needless to say, I had a very, very, very serious case of road rash uh, from my idiocy. There's a fine line between courage and idiocy. Why do I share that? I share that because this story here is one or the other. It's either a story of courage by this woman, Rahab, or it's one of idiocy. It's one of denying an entire nation, taking her life into her own hands, and yet it's also one of a woman seeing something that's coming around the horizon and realizing that if she doesn't act now, all is to be lost. Is it courage or is it idiocy? Usually we know the answer from how it ends, don't we? We know this woman Rahab lives while everyone else dies. So we have to ask the question, if we were confronted in a similar situation, what would we do? Why is it that Rahab saw what was about to occur, this invasion, and responded, while other people did not? What is it about the fact that this was this woman, this supposed prostitute, seemed to have more wisdom than everybody else combined? See, this gets to the core of what true courage is. True courage is the willingness to give up what you have been to embrace what you were meant to be. Rahab got a vision of what life was supposed to be like. And so taking her heart in her hands, she got up her courage. She did what was right, and she survived. I want to take a look at three points in this passage, because I want us to examine our own courage. Courage is the willingness to give up what we're meant to be to embrace who we are. And I want to suggest to you today that this story is the story of God coming to you and giving you a vision for your own life. The question is, will you embrace it or will you walk away? Rahab recognized three things, and this led to her life. Number one, she recognized reality. She seemed to be able to see what was going on around her and make an appropriate decision. She recognized reality. Number two, she recognized royalty. That there was a king who was coming, and that he was the one true king, and that she that he was the one that she needed to serve. And finally, she recognized reality. She recognized his royalty, and she received his mercy. She bowed down, she asked for the mercy of God, and she received it. Because she had the courage, the willingness to give up what she had been so that she could embrace what she was meant to be, a servant indeed, even a child of God. Well, let's look at these different passages. Let's dissect this passage with these points. Number one, she recognized reality. Again, a little bit of a background for you know. Remember, uh, God has called the people to himself, the Israelites. He said, you're going to be my people. I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And even though it's inhabited by all of these peoples greater than you, I'm going to give it to you. The first group of Israelites, Moses had led them. And he sent 12 spies into the land to check out the land. 12 had gone, 12 had come back. 10 had said, no way. There's no way we can take this land. There are giants in the land. Only two 
Joshua and Caleb and said, God has given us this land, let us go. And as a result, in God's anger, he did not let them go into the land. Indeed, they wandered in the desert 40 years. Anybody over the age of 20, God said, will die and will not see the promised land. And so now there's a new group of people. Joshua sends two spies. Okay, I bet these were pretty godly people that they sent this time, right? I bet they understood the seriousness of their mission. That this, the very fact that the spies had come back the first time and not given a good report led to what occurred. I bet they understood the seriousness of their mission. They were to go out and they were to go into Jericho and case the land. And so we see they came here to stay at the house of the prostitute of Rahab. Of Rahab. Now we ask the question, first of all, is something kind of funny business going on here, right? Now these guys are serious. They're not going for fun. They're godly, holy men. They understand if we make one mistake, our entire population might be wiped out. Rather often we see that this, one, this person, Rahab, she had a lodging. It was probably an inn. She was the madam, if you will, of the establishment. And these brothels and lodging places and food places, they were all kind of combined. So these guys are here, come here. You know, what a better place to get information than coming to a bar. And so they come here. And for some reason, aside from these spies' best efforts to keep this thing quiet, it's been found out. The word is out. It's like the Lord of the Rings, you know, when the hobbits walk into the bar and everyone's like, one of these things is not like the other. Somehow they know something is going on. And so the word gets out, but something happens with Rahab. See, these guys become radioactive to everybody else, but they become magnetic to Rahab. Isn't it strange that the first person that the Israelites, the first Canaanite, the first interaction, if you will, and this entire story is with a prostitute, Canaanite woman, Rahab. She's the most unlikely of candidates to be involved with the story in any redeeming nature. And yet we see that she hid her. Notice verse 3, that the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. See, she's already taken evasive maneuvers right away. She sees what's going on. She's already hid them because she knows what is going down. Now think about the consequences for Rahab if it's found out what she's doing. Can you imagine? Everyone knows why these people are here. And she's harboring these criminals. Okay? Probably, you know, what's going to happen to her business? Gone. What's going to happen to her life? It's gone. What's going to happen to her family? It's gone. She's taking everything and putting it on the line for these two guys, not even knowing what it is that they are going to say. Is she insane? Has Rahab lost her marbles? I want to suggest to you something else. I want to suggest to you that Rahab is the only one who is rightly interpreting the reality of the circumstances around her. She has seen these people coming, and she has realized that here is something worth risking her life for. Joshua 2, 8 through 10. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard from how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. 
when you came out of Egypt and what you did to those two kings whom you devoted destruction. Notice the words, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She sees the writing on the wall. She knows what's going to happen. That this horde of Israelites is going to come and they're going to take the land. She sees the fear across the land and how people melt away before these Israelites who are coming. She's got her finger in the air and she's got this thing pegged. How does she know? She says it this way, For we have heard what your God has done, how he dried up the water of the Red Sea and took across 600,000 Israelites and drowned the entire army of Pharaoh. For we have heard this. We've heard about how just recently you've taken out these two kingdoms, just wiped these two giant kingdoms, respective kingdoms, off the face of the earth. See, she's been tracking the information, and she understands that God is with them. So while others' hearts are melting with fear, hers are swelling with hope. And she made the decision right then and there to change everything. She chose to reorient her life around God and what he was doing, not to try to orient God around her life. She had everything to lose, her property, her relationships, even her life. But what did she have to gain? <laughs> Salvation, favor with God, victory. See, she realized that life is bigger than simply the little world that I'm trying to create, this little ecosystem, this little biosphere. Something's about to change, and I either need to change, or it will change me. Doesn't it matter, by the way, that she's a prostitute? She doesn't seem put off by this fact at all. You know, it doesn't really fit with our holy story, does it? I mean, she's not a candidate, let's be honest. She's not holy. She's in this dubious profession. That's how she makes her living, and yet it doesn't seem to bother her one bit in terms of the boldness that she has. The reason of this, my friends, she knows she's unworthy. That's maybe the difference between the ancient world and us. We actually think we are. She knows better. The issue is not a question of worthiness, but a question of willingness. And so Rahab looks at the situation and looks at the God who is coming and takes herself out of the center of her life and puts God in the center. See, she has the willingness to see reality, but she has the courage to accept it. What do we have in common with a prostitute innkeeper named Rahab who lived 2,000 years ago? This physical picture of a kingdom that is advancing is an analogy, a picture of what is really occurring right now, for there is another kingdom that is advancing right now, isn't it? A king who has come, Jesus Christ, who has come and said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. But unlike the sword of the Israelites that devotes the land to destruction, the sword of Christ is the sword of the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. The tool that God is using in Jesus Christ to overthrow the world is not the sword, but it's love. I did not come to bring the world to destruction. I came to bring salvation. Believe the good news that though you are not worthy, I will make you worthy. Though you should be receiving my wrath, you may receive my joy and my salvation because 
is also a summons to repent and believe. The reality of the future is every bit as wonderful and terrible as it was in the past. Jesus Christ said, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No. I came to bring division. Reorienting everything of life around myself. But I am coming to make all things new. Christ has come, and things will never be the same. And so there are the same responses to the call of Christ and the advancing of the kingdom, just like they were back then, were there? There's anger. I mean, it always amazes me the anger there is against Christianity as opposed to other religions. Why so much anger against this one who said, love your enemies, who laid down his life? Because he came not as a prophet, he came as a king. He came as God and said, repent and believe the good news. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the same way, Christ puts us in that uncomfortable position about having to make a decision about himself. And so we have to ask ourselves the question as we see him, what is our decision? By the way, who is eligible for this kingdom? Anybody. Anybody. Prostitutes. Tax collectors. Bad people. Jesus hung out with bad people. People that we may not like so much if they were in the church right now today. That's where Jesus was. Because the call is not about worthiness. The call is about willingness. Who will respond, not with fear, but rather swell with hope? You know, the signs were evident. I don't know if you've seen this movie that's coming out soon. The movie called Pompeii. I'm going to redo the movie. It's uh, coming out in theaters in a couple of months. Many of us know the story of Pompeii. It's this little town at the bottom of Mount Vesuvius in Rome. And there was this cataclysmic uh, uh, volcanic eruption in 79 AD that covered the entire town, 20 feet of ash, just buried. What we don't know is there was an earthquake in 62 AD, 17 years before, that created serious damage to the area. Just about everything was affected. There was anarchy, there was rioting, there was looting as this initial cataclysm in the year 62. There was an uh, earthquake, and so they had been repairing the city for 17 years. And they were having such a difficult time because these tremors seemed to keep occurring. They were occurring with a regular basis. And yet nobody seemed to put two and two together what was going to happen to them on that day when that volcanic eruption occurred. And just like that, in the space of minutes, everything, 250 degrees Fahrenheit, burned to a crisp, just like that. They saw the signs, but they did not respond. Let me suggest to you that what occurred with Jesus Christ coming to the earth has created a seismic shift in the world, and it will never be the same. Do you know, every day, 82,000 people become Christians in the world. New Christians every day. 6,000 only, though, from North America and Europe. 25,000 in Asia. 17,000 in Af Latin America. 32,000 in Africa. 10,000 people claim Christ as their believer, uh, as their Savior, every day for the first time in China. 10,000. Why not the United States of America? The tremors are there, aren't they? What's going on? Missionaries tell us this. It's because the materialism of the West distracts you. You don't 
understand the tremors of how fragile life is. See, we're all building our life on something, my friends. Think about your own story. It may not be as sordid as that of Rahab, but maybe you're a business owner. Maybe you're building for yourself a future, a family, something you can depend on. But life is fragile. Christ has come to say, look, a new kingdom is coming, a new king is coming. Repent and believe the good news. Am I willing to see reality and accept it, and do I have the courage to change? Because courage is the willingness to give up who you've been to embrace what you were meant to be. Rahab saw, and she changed, and she believed. Now you may say to yourself, well, I'm not a candidate. I'm not holy. I'm more on that Rahab side, you know? Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you don't have things in your past that you're so proud of. Maybe you've had an abortion in your life. Maybe you've swindled your neighbor. Maybe the way that you're living right now, you've got some big question marks and you feel like, you know what? Not for me. Rahab tells us something different. She saw the reality of the coming kingdom and she made the decision to reframe her life around God because true courage is the willingness to give up who you've been to embrace what you were meant to be. She recognized reality, but she also, point two, recognized his royalty. Verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is an astounding statement if we truly understand what she's saying. First she says, number one, your God is above all things. The scope of his leadership in the heavens above and on the earth below. The Canaanites, like many ancient tribes, they worshipped many gods. In fact, that's why God says you've got to wipe out these people because they worship many gods. Here were some of them. There was Baal, the god of fertility, the renewer of all energy, Dagon, the, the god of crop fertility and grain, Moloch, the god of fire, Asherah, the god of the sea, Anak, the virgin goddess of war, Mot, the god of death. All of these gods vying for supremacy in their particular area. They must all be appeased lest something happens to them. But Rahab, who has been raised in this culture, has the temerity to say that there is one God who is above all of these things. And therefore, he is the only one that I need to go to. He is supreme. He is above all things. Even more, he is the only God. This is point two. Notice, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. If he's above all things, see, in the other places, all these gods, they kind of had their equality to it, you know? you got to give your worship to them, and to them, and to them, and to them, you know? But no, no, if there's one God above all of those gods, then he's the only one who is God. And that's what Rahab is saying. She says, your God, the Lord, the one named Yahweh, not Baal, not Mot, not Malek, he is the one who is God. And so she disowns all the other gods so that she can attribute all of her worship to God, Yahweh himself. She can no longer worship those gods if she wants to worship the one true God. 
And then finally she says this, he is God in the heavens above and the earth below. You know, the saying is said before in the Bible three times. Twice in the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy when the Ten Commandments are being recited, and once in Exodus when they're being recited for the first time. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. Know therefore that today the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. See, Rahab has heard these words somewhere. As an innkeeper, she's had her ear to the ground. She's heard of this one called God. And as she sees what God is doing, she has heard and she has believed. And because she has recognized royalty, she has decided to devote herself to God. What does she do? She lies. Boldly lies, doesn't she? You know, because I'm sure some of you is going, wait, is it, can you do that? Is that right? You know, it never really in the Bible discusses lauds her for her lying or truthfulness, but it does laud her for her faith. She made a decision to shelter these men. And because she did so, the campaign, the operation, was able to come off. She let them down through the window. Her mission, their mission became hers. Their king's interest became hers. She stood in the gap. True faith means willingness to give all of it for the true king. My father is a diehard, father was a diehard Virginia Tech fan. I, however, went to the University of Virginia. And never the two shall meet, right? Much like oil and water. My father, so, uh, father was such a big Virginia Tech fan that if I was to go into his garage right now, I would see a 57 Chevy Bel Air, totally done up in maroon and white with Virginia Tech sewn into the leather seats. Okay? <laughs> He's got a five-window Virginia Tech maroon pickup uh, Ford. Uh, the guy's insane Virginia Tech, okay? Now, I happen to like the Hoops, okay? Good basketball season, by the way, okay? Go Hoops, yes. It's only been 20 years. Well, Samson turned over in his grave. Nonetheless, he had the tickets to the game, and so he invited me to go to the game, right? So it's in Charlottesville. He always gets great tickets, but they're in the Virginia Tech section. Okay? So I show up in my UVA outfit, okay? And I'm surrounded by a sea of orange. And, and uh, what is that color in the room? I don't This is a very nice color. Okay? I stand out like a sore thumb. So I'm sitting around, and as usual, we're getting our comeuppance from Virginia Tech, okay? And so when there's a big play, they're all standing up and they're hooting and hollering. Now, am I standing up? No, 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 no. I am not standing up. Now, when UVA, every now and then, makes the great play, they're not standing up. Am I standing up? No. Well, <laughs> I'm giving a nice, well done. Well done. You know, I'm not exactly singing the grand old song when we score a touchdown, but I'm kind of humming it, okay? I can't help but be have allegiance to my team even when I'm in the sea of uh, orange and maroon. Why? Because that is my team, right? See, Rahab said, time out, i got to make a decision. If I recognize the reality and I recognize his royalty, then I have to live in a different way. How 
how you live represents who you love. True courage is the willingness to give up what you've been to embrace what you were meant to be. Her faith translated into action. And so you and I must examine our own lives. Do we see the reality? Do we recognize his royalty? So what do we say? What's our confession? I know that this God, this Yahweh, heaven above and earth below, there's nobody above him. Who are the gods that you are appeasing every day in order to gain their favor? The God of looks? The God of money? The God of how I'm supposed to behave? Or have I made the decision that there is one true God in which all gods will be subsumed under? You'll know that you are a disciple of Christ when His mission becomes yours. When He becomes your King. When you decide that all that I have is worth giving up, that I may have all of Him. Because true courage is the willingness to give up what you've been to embrace what you are meant to be. This brings me to my final point. Rahab, the prostitute, recognized reality. She recognized his royalty, and she relied on his mercy. Verse 12, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver us our lives from death. See, genuine faith never resists or rests content with being convinced of the reality of God, but presses on to take refuge in God. Because she knows the truth, the clear truth of God's coming, she wants to escape the wrath of God, and so she asks, Remember who I am. See me as one of your own. And the men respond in verse 14, Our life for yours, even to death. Take this red, scarlet, uh, thread and mark it around you, mark it around your window, so that we will know, and we will not come and we will not kill you, we will not hurt you. You know, if we told the Jew this, they might act surprised, but the truth is, we've heard this story before, haven't we? It's a story of Passover, isn't it? Remember the angel of death, God is going to come, put the lamp, the blood on the door, and the death will pass over so you do not be killed. You know why it's a red cord? Because it's a red cord. Okay? There's all this sort of, well, it's a symbol, it's a it's a marking, okay? How do I know that? Because it's, it's not important what it was. What is important is God has given Rahab in her house a sign that if you want salvation, come, come behind our protection and we'll protect you. Rahab relied on the mercy of God, and Rahab lived. Rahab ended up, by the way, marrying Solomon, Solomon of the uh, tribe of Judah, who had a son whose name was Obed, who had a son whose name was Jesse, who had a son whose name was David. King David is the great, great, great grandson of the prostitute Rahab. And as you see the genealogy in the book of Matthew in the New Testament, there is Rahab's name there. Jesus is a descendant of Rahab. Prostitute. Have mercy on me. You know, true courage is the willingness to give up who you've been to embrace what you were meant to be. But true love is the willingness to give up what you have so that another person could be what they were meant to be. The 
the story of Rahab is the story of the gospel. It's the story of Jesus Christ, who's come into the world and who said, I will shelter you from the wrath of God. Although you are not worthy, I am worthy. Indeed, although you're not even really willing, I am willing. And so Jesus took his place in heaven as king, enthroned at the right hand of God, and he came to earth. And he put on flesh and bone and became a little baby. And he got up on a cross and he died. And he gave of himself, not that he might live, but that we might live. The gospel is not that we are for him, but that he's for us. And he comes to each one of us. Do you recognize the reality that there is one who has come, not to condemn you, but to save you? Do you recognize the royalty that there is a king who loves you, who died for you, who can rescue you from your sin and wrath? And you rely on his mercy. Are you willing to reorient your entire life around this one thing, that there is a God who died for me, and that if I trust in him and follow him and give all that I have to him, that I will be saved, no longer be an enemy, no longer even be an Son and God, God. The call of Rahab is the call for you and me. So my hope for you today, recognize the gospel. It's for you. See what's going on. Hear the message that God has brought to you today. Embrace it. Follow it. Rejoice in it. And anticipate the future. But God said that he's a love of world and gave his only son that whoever would believe in him not perish, but would have eternal life. This is the hope of the gospel. This is my hope for you. God, thank you for this beautiful story of this woman, Lord, who was not qualified. But you show us that it's not about us being qualified, it's about you being qualified. It's about your willingness to enter into enemy territory in spite of our own selves, Lord, and to rule us to yourself alone. Give us eyes to see Give us a heart that melts with your love. Help us to reframe our entire life around the reality.